Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone welcome back to podside picnic welcome back to vampire month my uh co-host pete has gone once again to investigate some disturbances i'm sure there's nothing to worry about he was in romania i want to say hungary one of those countries anyway i hope he has fun over there uh in his stead though i am joined by the esteemed the lauded <laughs> the uh, no, no, keep going, keep increasingly going. increasingly powerful on Twitter, uh, Emma Burquist, who is a friend of mine, a friend of the pod, has been on here before, if you recall, to discuss her books, of which she currently has two that are out in the world. Uh, one is called Missing Presumed Dead. One is called Devils Unto Dust. They're both very exciting YA novels. And um, yeah. It's look. I'll give you guys a little bit of a warning here. Emma and I talk a lot on the internet, so I'm gonna have to tease her a little bit today, and I'm sure she'll tease me too. And I hope we don't have we don't spring too many inside jokes on you. But <laughs> I mean, giving each other shit is the basis of our whole friendship. So yes, absolutely. Um, Emma, thanks so much for coming back on. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Talking talking vampires. Yeah, and I guess I should fill people in. Um, I think people might have gotten a little bit worried when I said I had a, you know, that whole spiel about having a YA writer on talking about <laughs> vampires. We're not doing Twilight. <laughs> I know some of you were hoping we would, but this is not Twilight. Honestly, uh, honestly, y'all should do Twilight. You should. We've talked about it. There's a possibility Look, we might sneak it, something. In it the, has yeah. its place in, in the canon of, of vampires. I mean, I... Other than Anne Rice, I'm, you know, and, and Dracula, you would be, you would be hard pressed to find something that has had as much impact on vampires as Twilight, for good or for bad. I agree, and I think that's a tragedy. But it is true. You're right. You're correct. Uh, from our, from our, for our generation, Twilight is sort of still the central vampire narrative, and I'm going to do my best to change that. <laughs> we all have to chip in to try to change that. <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing is, it it gets shit on a lot, which is as a YA author, very frustrating because for one thing, it was like almost 15 years ago now. It's like, first of all, pick a newer target if you're going to make fun of YA. Like that, that's an old one. And second, I mean, like there's way worse books. Like it's, it's, it's a ro- vampire romance. What were you expecting? I mean, one day I'm going to have you back on the show to explain to us which books exactly are worse than Twilight. And that will be a great day. Okay. okay. All right, um, I'm just like, there's a lot of stuff out there and Twilight gets shit on because it's very popular. Well, it's also very prudish and very Mormon. I think that's a huge yes, part of it. Too. I, I think it is too, but that's why it's safe for YA. You know, that, that's, it's, it's a very sort of sexless kind of vampire story. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because after three minutes here, I should probably finally say what it is we're doing today, which is the classic Swedish film uh, by my guy Thomas Alfredson, Let the Right One In, which is based on a book that I haven't read, but apparently Emma has, right? We I might have. get to that. But yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I transitioned to that partly because you said sexless stories are good for YA. And interestingly, this is a very erotic vampire movie in which the characters are very young, which is one of the many risks it takes. But I think before we dive into that, I'm going to let I'm going to let you um, give some of your thoughts about why this is important to you. But first, I want to tell everyone, if you haven't seen Let the Right One In, go watch it. It's on Amazon at the very least. Uh, Well worth your time. Honestly, a classic of the 21st century. I think we agree on that. And to give you background, if you don't know what it's about, it's set in Sweden. And I guess I would say the 70s or 80s. It's uh, 1981 is the exact date. (laughs) There you go, right in the middle of the 70s, 80s range. Um, and it's about a little, a little boy named Oscar who is lonely and lives with a single mom and gets bullied and has a lot of anger. And he meets a young woman who is impervious to the, or so a young girl his age, uh, seemingly, who's impervious to the cold and only comes out at night. And uh, you can imagine that uh, his problems have a certain resolution to them and a certain exciting, bloody things occur over the course of their somewhat of their uh, odd sort of pre-adolescent romance that they have. <laughs> so that's the basic frame. But I want to cede the floor finally after far too much talking on my part. Emma, you love this movie. You love the book too, I think. What, why do you love it so much? Okay, so this is, I, I, this is actually one of those rare instances where I think I actually prefer the movie to the book. Or in the sense that I think the film is like almost a perfect film and the book really only adds sort of like extra to that. Um, And part of that is because the screenplay was actually written by the author. So you get the most important scenes. And then it's like if you wanted to watch deleted scenes, you could read the book and you get a little bit more background. Um, But what this film does, what I think that like very few vampire films do is make it makes being a vampire look genuinely unappealing. And that is something that is so rare. I mean, you talked about this a little bit when, on, on the Buffy episode, and, and I agree with you that it's cheating to have your vampires be both sexy and scary, with, you know, with, with them, like, vamping out. Like, you, you, you can't have it both ways. You have to choose one. And so many people choose sexy vampires, but th- these are not sexy vampires. This isn't something that's, like, fun or romantic. It, it looks genuinely awful, and it also makes living in Sweden look just absolutely appalling. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I mean, usually, you know, if you have vampire, it's something, it's like sexy, it's alluring um, and powerful. And Illy isn't even like particularly powerful. But it, throughout the whole course of the film, she really only manages to kill, I think, one person on her own. And she can't even dispose of the body. So there really is not a lot that you, you would want um, from this lifestyle. It's like she's she's kind of gross, she's dirty, she smells bad, she wears clothes that she like finds in the trash. Like it just looks like an awful existence. And I, I think that if you are gonna have a monster in your story, it should be monstrous. And I think this is one of the only films that really is able to do that with a vampire. That was a great read. And I, I will also say that crucial to Ailey, the, the vampire girl's character, she's deeply lonely, right? That's what this movie is ultimately about. It's about two lonely they people. They both are, yeah. Yeah, two very lonely children, really, because they're both uh, about age 12. I mean, she is, like, sort of 12, eternally 12. Um, 
I want to complicate a little bit some of the things you were saying. I totally agree with that read. And I want to go sort of stick a pin in the Sweden thing you said, because like not that I'm an expert on film depictions of Sweden, but this an underrated aspect of this film is it might be one of the least appealing depictions of Sweden right. on screen that I've seen. Like, I, honestly, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo made you want to live Oh, yeah, I was like, oh, that looks pretty. This is like, Jesus, that looks awful. Yeah, they live in like some industrial, like, blue-collar suburb. Right, well, it's, this, it's, it's yeah. like this prefab, suburban, you know, sort of hellscape, and, and it, it's in that, you know, Stepford kind of genre where it's it's that like you never really know your neighbor what's happening in the suburbs. Right. Almost all of this could take pl- could have taken place in uh, you know a Soviet apartment complex right. in the same era mm-hmm. uh, and has that same affect to it. Um, although I do love that like they had this really enthusiastic uh, gym teacher who's running all these after school programs. That was a nice warm touch. But uh, <laughs> well, but and he's <laughs> not even Swedish. Mr. Avila, like he's he's like supposed to be Spanish, you know. So he's not even part of. But like it doesn't necessarily translate well in the film, but like he he kind of says things wrong sometimes because he's not Swedish. He's not really like part of that. Yeah, one of the jokes in the film that doesn't really come across uh, probably on a first watch, but I noticed this time was was he can't quite speak yeah, Swedish properly, he, he so he says like avoid the hole uh, the holy in the ice. Yeah, and he means the hole in the ice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this little uh, he, he's he's sort of apart from them, and, and he's the only one who's like really enthusiastic and this is a story about you know sort of rough and tumble seemingly blue collar swedish people mm-hmm. being really nasty to each other yeah. um the kids are nasty to one another the adults are nasty to one another his dad at first seems sweet but ultimately the reason oscar is alienated from his father is because his father is a bad drunk mm-hmm. um you know it, and all of like it, it's a, it's just a story about sort of drunk abusive surly people yeah um, you know, just regardless of like this could be set, this could be transposed to almost any setting for that reason. Although right. the snow and, and the cold is so essential to it, and there's that like this cycle where you can tell that these kids that are bullying him are going to grow up to be these this group of people that we see just constantly drinking, and it's like it, you can see like what their lives are going to become, just stuck in this right. one place. Right. I mean, the what's interesting is that this is a vampire fantasy that, mm-hmm. that is like so uh, so determined. And so relentless in its realism, right? right? This is not the only thing that's going to, and that of course makes the sort of the liberty of entering the vampire world uh, over the course of the story, like that much more appealing. And I'm, I'm going to go back and complicate a few other things you said, because I think you said, for instance, Ellie only managed to kill one person. She kills at least two people. And in both case, I th- cases, I think it is a fairly dramatic uh, uh, case of someone who has the body of a 12 year old girl overpowering grown men and killing them. And also she can do things like, scale the side of a hospital like a spider <laughs> i mean she can but like like she still she still needs like she always has her helper you know like somebody who can either go and get her blood because it's either dangerous for her or she doesn't want to or someone who because she is sort of trapped in the mind of a 12 year old like she really can't take very good care of herself yeah that is kind of an interesting motif here um throughout this movie a lot of these people and ellie in particular are just not that good at things yeah like, they're really just, not <laughs> Yeah, this is this is not like your typical, you know, empowerment fantasy that yeah, phrase we use in video she's games or genre storytelling. Yeah. Pretty inept at it. She does, you know, she accidentally makes other vampires, you know, because she doesn't always remember to to kill them or is interrupted and doesn't go back and and just kind of lets things happen. Yeah, and so much of this movie lingers over vulnerability. You have a lot of the camera lingering over the like you know, the like frail bodies of these pre-adolescents as they're swimming or whatever. Yeah, or, they're just really thin, really pale. Yeah, or the sort of physical imperfections of the middle-aged people who are sort of, you know, frumpy and overweight and look like real people. And all of it is just a constant reminder of like, 
the insufficiencies of the body, the failures of the body, and um, especially, you know, appropriate to a, a story in which one character is is approaching puberty and the other character will never, ever go through puberty and is stuck right on the threshold. Um, and I think that, that gets to, like, one of the most interesting things about this movie uh, for me, which is that you said this is that this is not a sexy vampire story. And broadly, I agree. Um, you know, Ellie is not an Edward Cullen, for instance. Uh, but but I will say this, like, there's a clear... Like she's 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 a sort of a, a a normal looking kind of prepudescent person, and of course you're not supposed to sexualize, uh, the, you know, <laughs> minors in a creepy way in mass market storytelling. I should I would hope you don't. But at the same time, there is also a very clear eros and a lot of physical affection to her relationship with Oscar, even though like, you know, to be frank, bodily she cannot have sex uh and like that that is that is depicted and like it's anyway what i'm saying is that there's a lot of very complicated sexuality and eros in this film and none of it takes kind of an obvious or easy route but it's very much there and i find myself thinking a lot about how risky that is because you're dealing with young kids and i don't know there's just a lot in play right I mean, it's it's certainly risky, especially because you're filming it, and you know th- those lingering shots on on young bodies are obviously like it, it it makes you uncomfortable in certain cases. But I think it does it does sort of follow sort of the basic rules for sex for for middle grade and young adult, which is that you can have your characters like think about sex or, or talk about it, um, and they they can they can even have it as you know in in YA, but you don't you don't write the sex scenes the way that you would in say like a romance book or even just an adult fiction book. So you, you don't describe things like step by step. Uh, it's not graphic. It's like what I would call a, a fade to black sex scene. You know, it's like they kiss and then you start the new scene like the next morning. So sex is part of being young. So you want to include that when you're writing about young people, but it's supposed to be part of the story. It's not supposed to be titillating. And I, I don't think there's anything titillating in this movie. I think there's a lot of intimacy, um, but it doesn't feel like it, it's, it's, it's not supposed to turn you on. It's just supposed to be sort of a moment between two people who are comforting one another. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. First of all, before we move on, I want to say you're saying that uh, YA and middle grade characters can have a little sex as a treat. That's what I'm hearing here. Uh, <laughs> I had to go for the terrible Twitter joke. I'm sorry. It's, um, it's little A, not a little. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I messed up the joke. Uh, I, just, I love that you immediately went to like, let me pull up my YA writer's handbook here and see it. It's section 11, part B. It says... Uh, you know, that rules. was great. Thank you, you for rules. that. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Cause like, that's one reason that I, I love talking to you about these things because I always, I learn I mean, these, so these much. Things yeah. are flexible, obviously, but only within certain guidelines. I mean, and there are people that push the boundaries. There have been YA books that have, have done like very graphic sex scenes, but you, you really sort of, it's not usually done. And like romance has very strict rules that I'm not super familiar with, but I know one of them is like, you have to have a happy ever after or it doesn't qualify as a romance book. Otherwise, it's something different. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like uh, weird. Just fiction, I guess. Or Yeah, I, I almost said Wuthering Heights and then I was like, Wuthering Heights kind of has a happy ending, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. That's a topic for time. Yeah, sure. Uh, but so so um, this movie, though, I think you're totally right. Like it's. It is sort of erotically tinged, and I would say that, that like, yeah, again, Eros, erotic energy is present between the characters, but it's ultimately about affection and intimacy. Yeah. Which is much more complicated 
Um, especially because, like, again, you have when we first meet Ellie, she has a helper who's probably been here with her for a while, who's now a middle aged man who becomes jealous of Oscar and their relationship and, and eventually, um, you know, sort of tries to off himself in grim fashion. And there's yeah. a great I mean, it's spoiler alert. Go watch the movie first. Spoiler alert. But like one of the, my favorite scenes in a movie that is littered with classic scenes is like, you know. Ellie goes to visit him after he's tried to gruesomely kill himself using acid of all things, like all the ways to kill yourself. Yikes. Um, and he can no longer talk. So he can't invite her in because she has to be invited into places like classic vampire or she'll start literally rotting from the inside, which we see like at one point. Oh, I love that part. Um, yeah. Lovely is right. But anyway, he can't invite her to the hospital. So he has to lean. He leans his neck out of his hospital room after she's scaled the wall like a spider. The Swedish hospital that's a winner. And then she sort of like, you know, affectionately sucks all his blood out and his body plummets under the street. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> but and again, like, the point there is, but yeah. he does it because he loves her, you know, and because that's really the only thing he has left to give her is, is his blood. Cause he's done all he can. And like, they've caught him now. And this is yeah, all totally. he has left. Talk about ineptitude. Like this guy's like draining bodies, like, you know, 10 meters off of like a well-trafficked footpath. You're just like, dude, you think you'd be better at this. You've been doing this for decades. You should be better at this by yeah, now. It's like you couldn't find a more remote spot. He's like in the middle of a jogging path. Yeah. Like along a highway, you can see the cars and you're like, what are you doing, dude? It's that is, that is a funny aspect of this movie. Like he is, he's comically bad at things, but to be clear, um, the I mean, one everybody who, is, yeah. yeah, the powerful party, the one who, the, the the one who calls the shots in that partnership is Ellie. I mean, mm-hmm. she's like reprimanding him, yelling at him. I mean, she's she may look like a child, but she runs the show mm-hmm. and he does what she wants. And you get the sense that, again, spoilers, as she rides off uh, into the on a, on a train and a Swedish, wonderful Swedish train with Oscar, that Oscar is going to be that that person. And that's kind of a mixed. I think once you see the relationship he has with the, the guy before, mm-hmm. I start to I worry about Oscar because I'm like, so you're going to have this weird sexless relationship where you age and this like immortal 12 year old vampire is telling you what to do forever. I guess if that's what you want, man. But like the point is that it's it. Yeah, it's neither about conventional friendship, nor is it about being lovers. It's about uh, a kind of affection, intimacy that that the film I think makes a strong case is like, I don't know. I mean, to say that the film makes the case that it can only exist between like a mortal and a vampire is putting too fine a point on it. But the point is that there is, there's this very unique bond that emerges and like the characters actually have these conversations about like, you know, well, Oscar I, says at one point, like, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think part of it is that Oscar is also like genuinely not a, a very like good person. Like he's not normal. Like he he's kind of gross, like Ellie. Like he always has like runny nose when we see him. Um, he's 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 an outcast. He gets picked on a lot, and obviously he shouldn't be picked on. But he's got a book full of like clippings of murders. Like he's he's not a normal kid. Like we're sort of giving these hints that there's something also very wrong with him. Um, you know he yeah. and and you know Ellie says like I'm like you. When she first sees him, he's pretending that he's murdering the people that have been bullied him. He's stabbing a tree with a knife. Yeah, so he's what we now would call a future school shooter. Yeah. And it back then would have said a future serial killer. Absolutely. And there's elements of both in this movie, right? Because he wants revenge on his bullies, which he ultimately gets in through Illy in one of the greatest scenes truly of all time, the famous pool scene at the end of Let the Right mm-hmm. One. I won't spoil that one for you because that's a it's just a so fucking good. baller scene, but it's like it's incredible. Um but uh you know it, he yeah, so he wants the revenge on his bullies, which he does he does get. And then he also, like you said, he's obsessed with dead with dead bodies, with murder. He's clipping stuff out of the newspaper. 
Um, you know, you get and of course it's perfect, right? Because if he's going to become Ellie's, you know, sort of life partner, uh, partner in undeath or whatever, then he's going to have to kill people for her. And he's, 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 he's primed to do that before he meets her. And that's one of the darker aspects of the movie. Right? Yeah. He doesn't seem to have that much of an issue with it. You know, there's never like a, a, he doesn't have like this strong moral opposition to, to murder or to her being a vampire. It's more like he, he's most upset with her that like she lied to him. That, that's what he, you know, gets mad at her about. Yeah, I mean, the lesson here clearly is that socialism breeds immoral people. (laughs) (laughs) This would never happen in America, goddammit. It's it's like, the thing is, like, by the end of the movie, we're not asking, like, the movie never takes a step back to make us ask, like, you know, is, is it wrong for this vampire to go around over decades or centuries, you know, callously murdering people, taking their blood? Um, Like, uh, you know, of course, initial instinct on Bond Harry Lennon is going to be like, yeah, that sounds bad. She sounds like the bad guy. But again, the movie takes great care to depict everyone with any kind of characterization. They're, they're all bad people. They're, they're the very least unappealing right. people that we don't have any sympathy for, right? Yeah, every everyone in this movie has, like, really deep flaws, and there there are no heroes. Except for Mr. Avila. Except for Mr. Avila. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there. I mean, aside from like the the sort of just most functional side characters, they're just part of the machinery of the story. Um, anybody who's named and on screen for any substantial period of time, they're cruel, they're callous, they're buffoonish, they're drunk, they're all kinds of things. I mean, it's, in that in that sense, it's like an it's like a classic slasher movie where everybody gets what's coming to them, right? right? Yeah, and I mean, it's yeah, everyone's constantly drunk or drinking or stealing. Which is, I mean, which is clearly not Swedish behavior. That's 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 a that's a Finnish trait if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I was just gonna say, shoot the joke right out of my mouth. Oh gosh, I hope nobody. If you hear this in Finland and you get mad at us, I apologize. Finland is a wonderful country. I was actually defending I against Swedish aggression apologize. on Twitter. <laughs> I was on Twitter the other day defending Finns against the history of Swedish aggression against their country. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean to be clear, like I. Well, I was we'll get into the whole Swedish thing later because I'm going to ask you about your Swedish heritage <laughs> and what it means to you. But, um, yeah, it it is interesting how this movie like does sort of seduce you into the idea that it's OK to help this dread vampire. And I think also yeah. there's a case to be made like Ellie is, of course, sophisticated in some ways because she has been around for so long. But again, inept, naive, wants to be liked. And I mean, the, just has massive blind spots. The yeah. way she looks. I mean, she's this this young, frail girl who like doesn't have shoes. It, you know, everyone around her is, is like, oh god, that that poor girl. You know, and and obviously this is like the perfect camouflage for for a predator. But you you know, you end up asking yourself, even reading the book, it's like, well, how much of this is her putting on an act, and how much of this is her just really being vulnerable? And the answer is, I mean, you, we just don't know because we don't really get inside her head. Right. And I think that I fall on the side of genuine vulnerability just because the way she's presented very skillfully is as someone who's who's willing to risk her life such as it is and risk everything to be liked because she wants a friend. That's why she first meets Oscar, because she's lonely. He's lonely. And they meet in the dismal, snowy courtyard of this apartment building And they just become friends in the organic way that kids do. And that is that's sort of the overriding fact of their relationship before it gets complicated by anything else, before they discover that they have a shared affinity for serial murder. (laughs) Uh, It 
Yeah, and I think that that is that's done so disarmingly. Yeah, um, I mean, she even and, says one of the first things she says to him is, "I can't be your friend," and it, you know, almost like she's trying to protect him. Right, right. She, I mean, she pushes him away. She leaves him a note at one point saying, "I either have to leave and live or stay, or stay and, and die. die." Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she's constantly she's very aware and pained by her her need to be this monstrous creature of the night. And like, there's one scene I mentioned, she can't come across thresholds without being invited, which is a classic vampire thing, of course. And when she does, so like at one point, Oscar kind of makes fun of her. Cause she like comes to his door of his apartment and stands there. And she's like, you have to let me in. And he's like, Oh, shut up. Whatever. Just like, just cut. You know, he's like, whatever. Yeah. I don't believe you. So she like forces herself to come in. And I love that. And then she starts. There's such this history of like, Oh, you know, vampires need to be invited, but we never, I can't think of another movie that shows you like what would happen if a vampire did come in without an invitation. It's always like, oh, they just can't do it. Right. So she she steps in and she's kind of staring at him in an accusatory way with a blank expression. And then she like starts like tremoring and, and like having a seizure. And then we see like blood coming out of her eyeballs and her ears. And, and not just else. that, just out of her skin. It's coming out of all of out her, of her pores. Yeah. She starts bleeding from all over. And and then Oscar is like, you know, like, obviously oh, freaked yeah, out. Yeah. He's like, hey, you can come in, you can come in. And it's like th- those little moments like that, they can feel like I, I think as a writers, we, re- we recognize moments. We both write like fantastic stories that try to be fun. Right. And like we recognize those moments where maybe you're doing something just because you thought it would be cool. And like maybe it works, whatever. But it's like that might just feel like it's just supposed to be cool. That's not what that is. That's not just like this is some badass vampire shit that is like very much staging for you. Uh, her sense of her own vulnerability, her desire to transcend her vulnerability and her moral failings, her desire to be free of the fact that she's imprisoned in the body of this monstrous blood hungry creature. And she can't do it, but she's, yeah. she has the but bravery. She, tries. To like she, try. she does, yeah, she she does it for him because he asks her to. And right. that's, that's one of those scenes that is lifted almost exactly from the book. And you can tell, that, you know, since the writer did the book and the screenplay, it was like, no, this part stays in. This is important. This scene needs to be in there. Yeah. And I'm, I didn't know before you mentioned it that um, the author of the book had done the script. That makes perfect sense because yeah. the, the way that the scenes are chosen to land in, in particular ways is so skillful. And I was, you know, um, I was ready to credit Alfredson, who's a director I love with a lot of those choices. But uh, I think it must, you know, this is a, this I, is a nice example of synergy here. Yeah, I think I think it was both. I mean, I, I think the author was very selective in who he wanted to direct it and, and found someone who who he thought understood the book really well. Agreed. So I have to ask you now as a wise, so here's, here, I'll preface this by saying I know as I've worked on my vampire project, I've become more and more aware, especially upon rewatching this movie, that this movie has a profound influence on me as a storyteller. There's mm-hmm. something about like the kind of connection that they form where it's erotically charged, but more about intimacy and affection and friendship. Something about the, the vampire as both a, a powerful creature of the night and profoundly vulnerable and sad about that. Um, and also, I think like, uh, you know, Alfredson in general, the way he shoots Sweden, the way he shoots exteriors, like I just love the guy. So there's all those factors um, influence me. And I'm going to ask you, like, do you think this movie has influenced your work as a YA writer? I mean, ab- absolutely. Well, I mean, first of all, you're always trying to find find a way to convey the kind of atmosphere that you you almost something like this. You almost can't convey it without film. Um 
which I, I, that's one of the reasons I think I think the film in some ways is superior to the book because just the shots of the lingering snow falling on just a black screen, it, it creates something that you you can't always replicate, but you try. And I think that this book in particular was really, or uh, sorry, this movie in particular was really um, a big influence on my second book because I I sort of tried to do a like. This is, you know, what would happen if you if you found a connection with and fell in love with a vampire. And I tried to do like what would happen if you fell in love with a ghost, because I really like and have a real weakness for for like doomed love stories, and not so much that you know it's an unhappy ending, but that there's a sort of a question mark. Like what, one of my other favorite movies is Eternal Sunshine, where the ending is like, okay, they know what's going to happen. They know they're going to break up. They're, they're going to go for it anyway. So people get hung up on like endings. Like, is it going to end with them dying? Is it going to end with happily ever after? But I like it when stories end with sort of a possibility of happiness. When even if you know that things might work, like work out between the two of you, you still choose love. Does that make sense? Totally. As you were doing that, I almost turned up to, to, to do my best, like Kate Bush, Wuthering, Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. <laughs> right. right. It's like, you know, you, you, these, the story where you, where you just take a risk at the end. It's like, well, I have to try. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we have, um, we have a similar view of love stories in this way, where like the more fraught and fucked up they can be made, the right. more interesting they become yeah. to us. <laughs> I don't want a happily ever after. I think that's. That's not as interesting to me as uh, it could be happy, but you never know. Well, I'm glad that you don't want that because as far as I could tell, the romance writing profession is falling apart before our very eyes. But <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> that was some inside baseball. So I'm not getting into romance right now. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to ask you to. I just I, I want to think some more about this movie. I mean, um, this Ah oh, man, are there like are there to- okay are there topics that you want to explore here? Because I feel like I've been dominating the uh, the the thrust of this discussion. Um, like what? I'm trying to. Uh, I don't know. I, I I watch. You know, I watch a lot of horror movies. I mean, that's basically my thing. And I I mean, this one just has such. It's just so bittersweet in a way that it just. I would put it. It's my favorite vampire movie, but I'd also put it probably in the top five favorite horror movies and there's there's something about it being swedish i don't know that just makes it colder somehow so your favorite horror movies are this ginger snaps and i didn't say ginger snaps is my favorite i said i want a new werewolf movie and that i like ginger snaps Oh, you know, am I not? there no there is actually there's a really good danish werewolf movie called when animals dream that's a very Danish title. Someday, uh, Emma and I will break down Ginger Snaps, maybe for this coming Halloween. You know what? Ginger Snaps is uh, great, and I, I, <laughs> I am right about that, and you are wrong. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I also wanted to do another shot at you and say, you're saying, you know I watch a lot of horror movies, and the way you said that, I need to fill in for our fans here. Yes, instead of having a, a job, Emma watches horror <laughs> movies during the day. <laughs> yeah, kind of, uh-huh. yeah, that's, that's true. You know what? What's your job, Connor? Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I knew that was coming. Uh, I go to graduate school for several hours okay, a week. Okay. So which one of us is actually contributing more to society? Uh, probably the answer is neither of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
man, Emma, I've missed you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like it's a Swedish thing. The Swedish thing you mentioned that the the, the Swedishness of this movie hangs very heavy, and of course it's come at. It, it it operates at a pretty oblique angle. I think that like there are certain things that I notice as someone who like who prefers like you know Scandinavian urban planning, where I'm like, oh look at all of the density of housing, look at all of the trains around. The, like I'm just like yes, yes, all of this. Um, so that's all there. And then look at that; it's very snowy and cold. I mean, there there's probably aspects of its Swedishness that jump out to you as you know a patriotic person of Swedish heritage that I'm missing. So when you say it's very Swedish and that's what makes it land with you, what do you mean? Uh, well, I mean, part of it is just the, like, the clothes and the texture, and especially for the time period. Like you said, it, it does have that very um, Soviet feel. And, like, it, it's set in 81, and in the book, they are, at the same time, they, they've just discovered, like, a Soviet submarine off the coast. And so that's in the papers, alongside all these murders that are happening. And I think... One of the things that I like um, is very sort of, you know, the, the classic horror trope of the suburbs, because this is in Blackberry, which is like a suburb of Stockholm. And it's a very like prefabby place. Like it was built sort of the way, you know, like American suburbs were like everything sort of planned and cul-de-sac. And it's such a sort of classic fear of your neighbor fear of like you can go out to the suburbs where it's supposed to be safer and you're still not safe and there are so many horror movies and books that sort of focus on that trope and i love it like this like oh they're you know performing ritual sacrifices in the building next to us or the you know the neighbors are devil worshipers um i don't know if that's i mean that's not a particularly swedish thing but i i think that with, with the Soviet stuff too, there was a whole uh, you know era in, in the U.S. where a lot of you know things like invasion of the body snatchers, where it was the same thing. It's like the fear of the the Cold War, fear of Russian spies who were living next door. Yeah, and the movie does touch on that. It, uh, there's a few off. There's definitely some like you hear talking about the Soviets on the radio, mm -hmm. but also like the the drunk you know residents of this neighborhood are joking about like. Oh, the government just wants the government wants us to believe that there are Russian spies all over the place. Mm -hmm. and like, and like ah, yeah. But that's like you know, it's it's easy to make fun of the Cold War now. But like, if you're living in Scandinavia at that point, like the, um, these countries still have massive militaries and you know mandatory military service because they were constantly mobilized uh, about a potential Russian invasion. Right. In so fact, have a, have a long history of being invaded by Russia, et cetera, et cetera. So. You know, that 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 kind of feels imminent. And like and then thus, of course, the vampire, the strange neighbors moving in who are right. acting weird, who have like a Fabergé egg. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah, of course. Are they are they Ruskies? Are they commies? What are they doing? Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you never know. It's like, and just in the uh, in, in the book. Yeah. It's like they're, they're talking about communism and they're, they're talking about, you know, yeah, infiltration. And part of it also is the way these stories roll and gather steam. So as soon as something hits the papers, it becomes bigger. So when they find one of the bodies, it becomes this, and that's, you know, sort of what starts the whole story is that, you know, Ilya's worried that they're going to have to move because now there's a tension on them. You know, someone could find out where they are. This is why they have to keep moving and, you know, why they end up leaving town at the end. Yeah, there's an interesting juxtaposition of, like, their transients with, this community that wants to believe it has the, 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 there's a the people in this movie want to believe that they're part of the community, right? Like mm -hmm. the older people are always talking about that. On the other hand, we see that Oscar is part of a 
uh, you know, a divorced family, something that would have been common by the 80s, but a generation earlier, not common at all. Um, there is like there's all kinds of alienation going on, even when people tell, him, tell themselves it's not going on. Like, for instance, the guy who sees Ailey murder her first victim is the weird cat guy who all yeah. of his neighbors sort of like all of his neighbors think they're his friend. And it's like, you're clearly not a very good friend to this guy who's living alone and miserable with like 20 cats. Um, and they don't necessarily really believe him when he's, even though he's the least drunk of them, when he's telling, like, right. talking about see, seeing what he saw. Um, or when yeah, Ellie's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, sort of, you know, friend guardian guy, he, he's eating breakfast where the drunks are. And the only reason they go over and talk to them is because they want him to buy, buy them more alcohol. Like they're not actually interested in his life. Like, Oh, talk to him. Maybe he'll buy us something. Like everyone's just taking advantage of everyone else. They're not actually interested. So there's this effort to sort of narrate community into being and the, and the people in the story who are the most honest about the lack of community, about the alienation, about the hostility to one another are Oscar, the future school shooter right. and, uh, and Ellie, the, the vampire and her, her servant. And like, the, those are the, those are the characters. One reason we're sympathetic to them. They're the ones that see the situation clearly. They can see how dismal all of this is and that they might as well just make the best of it because, you know, shit sucks. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. It's like, we know what's going to happen to Oscar. We know he's going to turn in to this, you know, old man, you know, killing people for her. And it still seems like the better option to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're pretty much sold on that bit in the movie. And to be clear, to sell, you know, someone like me who fetishizes Scandinavian social democracy, to sell someone like me on Sweden being that grim and alienating a place that takes some real work. Cause I'm, I'm fine with it being cold to be clear, you know, like that part doesn't bother me. <laughs> uh, they so, they do awesome. have some nice looking sweaters. <laughs> true. Very true. So, you know, unless there's anything that you want to go on. Well, actually I will ask you one more question about um, this, which is, are there any things you want to highlight? You already talked a little bit about the difference between the book and the movie. Are there other things you want to highlight about the book that maybe surprised you when you went back and finally read it? I, I will say, I think, so part of what I like about the movie is that you can see what's going to happen to Oscar. You can see his future. But in the book, it's not quite clear that, so the, the name of, of the man who's with Ilya at the beginning is um, Hukan. And it's not clear that he's he's been with her since he was a kid. He's he's a pedophile, and it's very uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, that's why he's with her because he can be attracted to her without feeling guilt about it. But he doesn't meet her until he's older, and I think it's actually much stronger to have it the way it is in the movie, where you don't know when they met, and you assume that maybe when he met her, he was Oscar's age and he slowly became this man. I think that's just slightly more tragic. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because if, if, if this Hokan guy, I mean, to be clear, he's a serial killer either way. Right. Like, right. If he's just a, he's just a pedophile on top of that. And that's what draws him to Ely. That is actually, it's more troubling obviously. And it's just less, it's less interesting. Like, yeah, to, that's, sort of that's like the thing. Have, it's like, I, it, you know, it's, it's too much information. Like, first of all, I don't want to read about that. Um, and second of all, I do think it's it's more powerful to not know his backstory and to, uh, to 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 be able to put Oscar in his position. Like this is what he's going to become. Right. It adds this poignancy to the ending where it's like this, it does, this movie has a happy ending in theory, but the happy ending is complicated by the fact that you're like, well, regardless, uh, you know, she's a vampire who has who has her ongoing vampire agenda. You're a 
12 year old human boy who you may be fucked up, but like you're committing to something that is pretty yeah. uh, beyond the pale um, at a young age, but it's charming. Right. So, you yeah, know. Like, oh, okay, they're in love. Yeah. So I think that was a choice that the film made and, and obviously the writer was okay with that. And I think it, it's stronger for it. Agreed. And I'm going to have a grad school moment here for those listening at home. I've mentioned the sublime before. And the sublime, in the technical sense, is not the way we usually ca- – usually we use that word casually just to mean something very good. But what it really means is something that repulses you at first but then sort of compels you toward it um, once you understand it better. And this movie is a great example of the sublime because it, it takes you all through all the processes of being repelled what's going on but then ultimately ushers you into your sympathy with Ellie and her view of the world and the way that Oscar – uh, enters into it so that's what that's what horror does at its best and that's what makes this a really transcendent horror movie i think um awesome well i think on that note i'm gonna ask you are there things that you want to plug uh you, you know maybe 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 remind us of what your books are where we can get them and uh anything else uh no i'm good yeah you can you can find my books uh so there's the one I was talking about earlier, the, the falling in love with the ghost one, that is Missing Presumed Dead. And then the first one is a uh, zombie western, and it's called Devils Into Dust. Cool, yeah. Check out Emma's books. Uh, you can get them on the Evil website or from other places. Um, and we're excited uh, to see Emma's next book whenever she gets around to actually writing it. I'm almost done. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's a peek behind the curtain about the the constant uh, <clears throat> shit giving that happens. Um, <laughs> it's writing's hard. <laughs> yeah, writing is hard, and you know that's where I want to I want to commend everyone involved and let the right one in for not giving in to how hard it is and to for producing what I think is like by far the best vampire movie I've ever seen. And someone else can you know if anyone disagrees with me, get at me on Twitter or whatever. But this is a real banger, and if you haven't seen it. We spoiled a lot of it for you, but it's still worth seeing. It, um, it really is. Right Even just for the final scene, you, you have to watch it. Just for the pool scene is enough, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. And thanks, Emma. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. 